0: Good morning. I'm Robin Shannon, and this is Fordham Conversations. The Internet is arguably one of the greatest tools for communication and gives the user the ability to communicate and connect with others, like something we've never seen before. But there's also a downside to being that connected, especially for kids who may not be aware of how their Internet activity is going to affect them in the future. So Fordham Law initiated and developed a first-of-its-kind program for middle schoolers that show them how to navigate some of the privacy issues that teens face when they're online. In the studio with me is Cameron Russell, the executive director of Fordham Law School's Center for Law and Information Policy, also known as CLIP. Cameron is overseeing the privacy education program. Good morning. Hi, good morning. And joining me by phone is Joel Reidenberg, a professor at Fordham Law School and the founding director of Fordham Law School's Center for Law and Information Policy, which created the Privacy Education Program. Joel is also a visiting professor at Princeton. Hi, Joel. Hi. So, Joel Cameron, who wants to explain how the program was developed?
1: We were very fortunate about two years ago to receive some funding through a court case uh, involving privacy. The judge uh, awarded a number of research institutes around the country some funding. And we brought on a fantastic uh, fellow, uh, Jordan Kavnot, to work with us and develop a program that we could run with law students as a public service in the information technology area. So we focused on privacy and, in particular, uh, thinking about how to help educate young teens, how they should deal with privacy uh, when they're online. The program essentially evolved into a series of five lessons that could be taught by law students in middle school classes. Uh, we, We were looking for something that would be focused uh, not on preaching to the kids, but really having the kids talk about different issues associated with how they use technologies online. We wanted to help them understand what the technologies were, so part of the the program involves a lot of show and tell on the technology, and have them help educate each other. Uh, How
0: did you find the students?
1: Well, once we had the curriculum uh, developed and we spent uh, a fair amount of time working through what are the kinds of issues that are important for middle schoolers to understand, then we found a middle school uh, close to our campus in Manhattan to partner with Fordham. And they agreed that we could pilot the program in their seventh grade class and we very easily found a, a group of Fordham law students who were excited to be able to do something in the in the community and over a number of weeks, Jordan uh, and Jamal Debelak, who was our former executive director, helped prepare the law students in what to do. You know, how, how do you go about teaching a middle school class? Um, we had collaborations with the Graduate School of Education at Fordham helping us also prepare to run the program and helping us uh, some of the design as well. Now, was this um, at
0: PS191 where you are, Cameron?
2: Yeah, that's correct. We plan on doing it at the same school that we ran the pilot program last year. They're, they're eager and we're excited to do it there as well.
0: And were these law students, were they uh, minoring in education? Like how did the Fordham law students get involved?
2: You know, they're not minoring in education, but, you know, part of being an attorney is being able to, you know, talk about concepts and explain concepts in sometimes a very simple way so that anyone can understand it. So it's a useful tool for attorneys in their development to have the educational skill in addition to the traditional doctrinal things that you would learn in, say, first year of law school.
1: Okay. We also at Fordham Law School have a very strong tradition of public service, and it's part of the school's motto in the service of others. So when we solicited uh, among the student body, we very quickly uh, were able to put together a team of law students who were uh, interested in doing a service project.
0: About how many students, uh, Fordham Law students, did you have?
1: We had five. We wanted to. Uh, we, we kept it at a small number so that we could run it effectively as the pilot.
0: And how many students, uh, middle school students, were involved in the project?
2: Approximately thirty,
0: I would say. So how did you divide up the the Fordham Law students with the middle schoolers?
1: We ran it with two sections. The seventh grade had two sections in PS 191. So we had two students in one of the classes and three students in the other class. And I think they rotated which one of the class got three and which one got two.
0: Give me a picture. I'm trying to paint a picture. So I see a a classroom, I see 30 kids, you know, sitting at their desks, the teacher in the front, maybe, you know, the Fordham Law students kind of standing in the back by the chalkboard. So paint a picture of me how this whole process, what does it look like?
1: Sure. So the law students, I wouldn't put them in the back, they were in the front with the uh, PowerPoint slides. <laughs> okay, <laughs> show, okay. Showing a little bit. So here would be an example. One of the sessions is on passwords, and we would you know, sh- show login screen, for example, and then have the students talk to each other about what's a password, why do you have it, what's a good password, you know, what are the characteristics of a good password. Some of the kids know, some of the kids don't know. The law students would largely ask a lot of questions. So they would ask, for example, do you share your password with other people? Why would you share your password? Well, what happens if the friend you shared it with is no longer your friend?
0: What were some of the answers you got? I'm interested in that.
1: Oh, we got all sorts of things, you know, lots of concern. These were, you know, 12-, 13-year-olds. So they've thought about some of the questions that, gee, it's good to share your password. You know, you've got your best friend. They really want your password. You're going to share it. And they haven't necessarily thought about what happens when they're not as good friends. And you say, well, what do you do? How do you, how do you decline? You know, what would you tell a friend if your friend wants the password? What would you tell them uh, to say you know, you're not really comfortable giving it to them?
0: And Cameron, uh, these are some of your students, correct?
2: That's correct, yeah. And, and in middle school, of course, you have a lot of BFFs. You have a lot of best friends forever. So it's, it's hard to imagine that it might not be a BFF um, all the time, so we we tried to give some type of um, options as to what you know tactful answers you could you could provide to your friend that may not you know anger them or or make them you know stray away from being your friend your BFF um, but still be able to protect your privacy in some way.
0: Like what? Give me an example.
1: One of the things that we asked, for instance, was your parents tell you that you can sign up for Facebook, but say that you have to give your parent. Your password so that they can see what you do and we asked the student if they're you know if they're 12 they need parental consent to legally be on Facebook so we asked them you know would you agree with it do you want the Facebook account with your parents being able to look over your shoulder or would you prefer not to have the Facebook account and then you ask them well if you do that does it affect what you post and who you friend knowing that someone else can see the account? So we lead into it with a series of questions that we think are going to actually be real scenarios.
0: Did any of them say, well, I just have two, one for my parent and one that is for my friends? I won't reveal the secrets of the okay. guilty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But do you cover that? If if it was, in fact, happened at all, would you cover that in, in the program? Sure, of course. Okay. And
1: and you know, what we're looking for for the students to talk to each other about how they're how they approach it and how they think about it because okay. it's one thing if it's an adult telling them it'll have a much greater impact and, and deeper meaning if it's coming from one of their peers and these kids you'd
0: be very surprised
1: at how sophisticated some of the twelve and thirteen year olds are on computer use and the implications of what they're doing.
0: So in what way would you say are kids more vulnerable, maybe, than other types of users?
1: They're probably more vulnerable in that their perspective is much narrower than other users. So while they're going to be aware of certain immediate issues based on their personal experience or their friend's personal experience, the scope of that experience is far Limited simply because they've been engaged in online activity for a shorter period of time. Fifty-three of, percent of young teens are putting their email addresses online. Twenty percent are putting their cell phone numbers online. And a third are connecting online to people they've never met. And I think in many instances, they're just not fully cognizant of what that might mean.
2: Yeah, I, I would just piggyback on what Joel said. It's the technology is ubiquitous today. The ki- these, this is a generation of kids that live online. Almost every aspect of their life takes place over the internet, whether it's cell phones or Facebook, but it has some type of online presence. And they may be familiar with, with that the technologies exist, but may not understand exactly how the technologies work and what they're capable of doing on the back end. So if they're making a conscious decision to be online, they should we think it's important to increase the awareness of what the potential ramifications could be by in putting posting something on Facebook or you know recording something on you know some type of online
0: and I'm finding that I can't keep up with the new technology and the new ways to uh communicate, but it seems like you know all the young people in my life and I'm talking twelve year olds thirteen year olds sixteen year olds there's always it seems like every month there's a new Pinterest or social site. So do you, in this program, deal with them individually or do you deal with the different kinds of online connections as a whole? Well,
2: we use specific existing things like Facebook and, and that type of thing to demonstrate a larger concept because the technology is going to continuously evolve. There's no way that we could ever you know update the materials and, and address the latest technologies. But uh, we do use specific examples. For Facebook, you know, you can post this thing on your wall, but what if it's a friend of a friend? Then that person may be able to see it. And what if you don't want that person to see it? What steps can you take to limit the number of people that can see what you post it? Just practical things like that that may have to do with one particular available. You know, I use Facebook as an example, but you know, five years from now, there'll be something in addition to Facebook. But we use those types of um, existing things to demonstrate larger concepts.
1: It's also about privacy literacy skills in that we have examples. We go through, for example, mobile phones and GPS tracking, why it's done, why it might be useful talk to them about you know, how how might they find it useful how might not be useful and the idea even though the technologies are going to change and they're going to change very rapidly our hope is that by putting some specific technologies and applications uh, in front of them and talking about you know how do you look for privacy settings the kids will recognize That is, they're using new tools, they're using new technologies, they should be thinking, okay, I better search and figure out what this means for my privacy. I better take a look under the hood and see how I can configure the privacy settings. That's a skill more than a a specific knowledge of a technology that will be different in three months' time.
0: So it's really a way for them to police themselves, not just in online activity, but in any activity that they do.
1: It's honing their thinking skills in the context of privacy and technology. And the notion that they develop the thinking skills, that's transferable. Our hope is that by doing it in the context of privacy and technology, that in particular, they're going to be worrying and thinking about privacy, thinking about their digital footprint as they become plugged in all the time.
0: So now we're dealing with future lawyers, Fordham law students. Are there or what type of privacy issues are we dealing with legally? Do you tackle that at all? The
1: only one that's I would say sort of confronted head on is in the last lesson about managing reputation. We really try to challenge the students to think about you know how they're going to actively manage their digital. Um, reputation. They're different audiences that they reach. And in that context, we deal with the flirting and sexting and to some extent the bullying questions as well. And those are areas in the sexting case in particular where the law is very clear. Uh, It's illegal even to possess a sexually explicit image of a minor. So, you know, Middle school kids that might be getting involved in that they have to realize that even sending a picture of themselves is not legal. Having one that they received on their phone is not legal, and you know, if they're involved, they've got to get parents involved.
0: Now, Cameron, you deal with the students at the school that you are at. Mm-hmm. What are some of their reaction when they're hearing why they shouldn't send explicit pictures of themselves? Are they surprised? Are they like, I would never do that?
2: I think, yeah, they, they come into it with the idea that they have, all, have a really good handle on what they're doing and the technology. So we may start out with a question like, who has a cell phone? Everybody raises their hand. Well, who understands how the cell phone knows exactly where you are all the time? Maybe demonstrate there's a little more to learn about it. So I think they come in eager, you know, because it's so applicable to almost every facet of their lives, especially once they see that there are areas where they may not have a complete handle on what's happening.
0: Now, you said there were five lessons. We talked a little bit about the privacy of number five, but let's one through four.
2: The first lesson is just a general overview and, you know, an introduction to privacy, introduction to the topic. So, you know, it's introducing the topic of privacy but also kind of discussing its importance and laying the groundwork for the future lessons. The second lesson is on passwords and behavioral ads, certain passwords and and sharing it with a friend and that type of thing. But also in the behavioral ads, you know, how does the computer know and create targeted ads that cater just to you?
0: Okay, yeah, I didn't even know what a behavioral (laughs) ad was. Well, how is that now that we're talking about it? I'm why they keep <clears throat> trying to sell me shoes, you know, on my Facebook page.
2: Well, <laughs> believe it or not, the computer knows more than you think it does. Um, you may have heard of a cookie. So you visit a website, the cookie says, hey, you've been here before, and remember certain information about you and what websites you can visit subsequent to you visiting that particular website where it drops that cookie.
0: So you're leaving like a footprint of where you've been? Yes. Okay. Did you want to say something,
1: Joel? There are various tracking technologies that are built into the Internet, that companies then use to profile individual users in order to sell advertising to those users based on things that the advertisers think the users will be interested in. Um, So if somebody is visiting a series of websites that sell shoes, the next couple of days that person is likely to see lots of shoe advertising on everything they do on the internet.
0: So i need to stop going on the internet for shoes then. <laughs> <laughs> this is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon discussing Fordham Law School's privacy education program with Cameron Russell and Joel Rydenberg. Okay, so we went one to, what's the next step, Yeah, so Cameron?
2: the third lesson is just dealing with social media drama which you know it happens when i was in middle school is not online drama but there was certainly drama but here you know there's a lot of avenues for misuse and for for bullying and for gossiping based on social media. So it's just kind of how to address those issues. The, f- the fourth lesson is just kind of, instead of talking about abstract notions of technology and privacy, kind of focusing on particular ones, you know, mobile technology, Wi-Fi, facial recognition technology, and kind of the, the back end, how these things work. So if, you, you know, the kids would know I, I get tagged in Facebook. You know, they tag somehow It knows it's me based upon a picture. But how is it doing that? And how's the computer able to know it's me?
0: How is it?
1: Well, what happens is if you take a photograph, there are algorithms that can then recognize characteristics of the face in other digital images. And it will then be able to identify individuals in those other pictures. So this is how when you go online, different sites will suggest, is this so-and-so? Well, how, how do they know to suggest that they know because... You or someone else may have tagged the person so they have an identified version, and then through the algorithms, they can predict that this unidentified person is the same individual.
0: Can I ask, ultimately, and I don't know if we have the answer to this, ultimately, why are we being tracked like that? Not just students, not just middle schoolers. In general, why would a computer or a computer company or why would they want to know that outside of well, selling me shoes? Well, it's a, it's
2: a very profitable industry. For one thing, um, you know, being able to target an ad to a particular group circumvents the loss of sales you would have if you targeted a bigger group who may not have the same targeted interest on whatever the product or service is.
1: Yeah, let me just add that I mean, the, you have the advertising side, which right now is the economic model for many services online in that um, we pay with our personal information rather than with cash. For different services online. But many of the things we do necessitate the tracking. So your cell phone won't work unless your cell phone can geolocate you because the phone company needs to know where to send the transmission signal for you to be able to receive it. So it's a necessity that your cell phone geolocates you. There are other services where the geolocation is clearly part of the service. So if you use a navigation, Uh, function on your smartphone. The map company needs to know where you are because it tends to be uh, evolving in real time. So there's services that necessitate the tracking for them to function. And then there is the economic model uh, that's paying for some services that is built on paying for the service with your privacy.
0: And so you're telling the students, hey, you know uh this is you're you're actually being tracked here and how do they handle it how would you tell them to handle that or do well you-
1: we're not instructing them that this is what you should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. what what we're really doing is having them recognize that these are things they need to think about they need to decide they may need to consult with their parents so for example sharing location on their on their mobile phones their app sharing functions that would let the parents know where they are. These are 12-, you 13-year-olds, know, so the parents may want that uh, geolocation feature activated, uh, but they may not want it for uh, other functions. They may not want to have photographs taken from their cell phone geotagged, and that's the sort of thing that we really want them to recognize. It's, it's there. It's possible. Be sure you check it out.
0: Are there any security or privacy risks with that?
2: yeah there I mean of course there are practical privacy risks you know for example if you know if the location of, of this middle school student is publicly available you know whether or not that's you know, intentional because it's a default setting on whatever the technology is then maybe you know someone else could find out well this is the way they go to school this is their route to school or this is their route home from school so there there are some you know some practical dangers involved in that
0: so do you actually show them how to I don't know, turn the GPS off or when they should use it or when they shouldn't? Is that part of the training or no?
1: Sure. We we show them, you know, where you should be looking for these features and functions. It'll change. You know, one, one phone, the way to do it on one phone is different from another phone. But the notion is we'll give them illustrations and say, hey, you can find, you got to look in the settings, you can find it here, and it's maybe phone-specific, it may be different in another year. But the point is that they should recognize they ought to be looking for it, looking out for it
0: and you said the fifth lesson dealt mostly with
2: reputation yeah just just managing the digital footprint and kind of it's a, it's a permanent if you delete it from your facebook wall or you delete the tweet doesn't mean it's deleted permanently forever you know it's uh you know it exists it exists somewhere and so
0: are they surprised by that cuz i was <laughs> yeah i
2: think there is some surprises to that yeah
1: the curriculum also looks in the context of reputation to help the kids understand their different audiences. So the audience of a text message you send may be different from the audience uh, of a Facebook or an Instagram posting that you make. And the circulation of those messages and recirculation uh, depends on the audience and and the technology. So we have them talk a little bit about that, think about that.
0: What surprised you most about what you had an opportunity to learn from the students when you were talking to them?
1: Probably the fact that there was clearly a group of students who had a much more sophisticated understanding of the technology than I would have expected for, for seventh grade. They were thinking more about privacy than I also anticipated.
0: Cameron, you want to try?
2: Unfortunately, I wasn't involved in last semester's pilot program. Um I'm you know heading up this year's.
0: When you come out on the other end, Cameron, what are you hoping that they take away from it?
2: Well, again, you know, the, the technology is everywhere and it's such a prevalent part of their lives. You know, I'm hoping that they have a you know, fundamental understanding of, of the technology so that they can make a choice. You know, privacy is an individual choice. There's no right or wrong answer as to what privacy means. So just giving them the tools to be able to make their own individual choice eventually in, in conjunction with their parents.
0: Are there any laws available that, that parents, grandparents can use if their child's information happens to get out there and they don't know uh, what to do about it? You know, if you take a picture or a tweet and you say, oh, man, you know what, Johnny, Karen, you really shouldn't have done that. Here's some action that I think I need to take as a parent to rectify this.
1: Sure, there's some things that parents can do. We, I mean, this is not something that we really that we focused on in the curriculum because we were looking to educate the uh, the middle school students, mm-hmm. um, but as a parent, if there's a photo that a student took, uh, that their child took, that, that they shouldn't have taken and is now circulating, there are legal rights to request websites to remove the photo from the website. It's called the, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act because the photograph, the copyright in the photograph would be owned by the uh, photographer. So it's a copyright action. If it involves sexting and it's an underage student, then law enforcement can be brought in for assistance. If the situation involves bullying, we see that there are increasing possibilities for law enforcement to act. And if it's involving identity theft, so another child is masquerading uh, as someone else, There are identity theft statutes uh, that that can be invoked. If nasty, defamatory things are said about uh, a student online that begins to permeate to various venues, there are normal defamation uh, rules that would apply. Uh, The legal rights approach, though, can be very difficult for parents because if it's not a law enforcement matter, the cost to try to litigate one of these cases is expensive. And the parent has to also worry about the impact on the child in pursuing the legal case because it can be very stressful. But certainly if a child has remorse over things that he or she has put up online and it's being taken in a very harmful, negative direction, absolutely the parents should be getting involved.
0: So at the end of Lesson 5, is there sort of a graduation of some sort?
1: Well, we didn't have a formal graduation, uh, but what we did do this year, um, we gave the school and the teachers a Pioneer in, in Privacy Knowledge Award, and we gave each of the students in the class who went through the program a, a certificate of Pioneer in Privacy Knowledge.
0: Uh, I read, correct me if I'm wrong, that your privacy education program is already going to be added at other schools?
1: Yes, it's, it's gone viral. Uh, we We have... Uh, I think at this count we 're up to fifteen or sixteen uh universities across the country yeah, so this isn 't just in
0: new york it's it 's all over the place right it' gone it 's all across the country
1: now. We really saw it once we had this program with with Jordan Kovnod, who had put it together, we realized that this would be not just valuable for students at Fordham Law School to work in their local communities but could really be used in so many other places. <laughs>
0: Now, Cameron, you're getting involved in this. You haven't stepped into the program yet?
2: Well, we're we're going to recruit our new slate of law students um, in the coming weeks.
0: Why only law students?
2: Well, you know, we, we're at a law school, so we have access to the law students practically. But I did want to mention that, you know, we have this, this group of of. Uh, universities who's, who've agreed to continue the program, but it's not necessarily restricted to a law school or a university environment. You know, it's it's there for free on our website. It's uh, law slash privacy educators. We w- meant for the curriculum to be a turnkey curriculum, so it can be taken by anyone. It doesn't have to be necessarily in a in a law school or university environment.
1: When we set out to design the program. The initial objective was to create an opportunity for our law students to be able to do a a pro bono or public service project in the local Fordham community. And that was our original impetus. Uh, As we saw once we had it developed, we thought that uh, there's no reason to restrict it to law schools. It could have a much broader appeal. And much broader uh, usefulness if it was freely available on the web and that's the route we took
0: and my final question I'm gonna ask Joel first then Cameron when these students look back on the program when they're you know older teenagers or adults what do you hope they take away from it Joel you can answer first
1: so what I hope they take away from it a sense that as they were becoming digital citizens, they learn the skills to be able to protect themselves, protect their rights while engaging intensely in the online environment.
0: Cameron?
2: And I would just add, I I think we we hope that they'll recognize maybe later on the importance of of discussing these issues and ubiquity of, of the technology as they move forward the importance for them to have some frame of reference as to the issues when they're participating online because it's inescapable as they move forward in life.
0: I'd like to thank Joel Weidenberg, a professor at Fordham Law School and the founding director of Fordham Law School's Center for Law and Information Policy, which created the Privacy Education Program. I'd also like to thank Cameron Russell, the executive director of Fordham Law School's Center for Law and Information Policy, also known as CLIP. And a special thanks to my producer, Alan Canlick. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarki and Cityscaper next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.